0: Well, before we do get started, I uh, do want to encourage you to, uh, if you've not already, to nominate us for the Podcast Awards, podcastawards.com. Um, you can nominate our program along with any of your other favorites. Uh, we're running in the entertainment category, so your nomination is appreciated. You can only nominate once during this uh, period, but uh, like I said, it would definitely help to uh, promote the show. So go to awards. Dot com all right well now it's time for today's episode of dragnet the original air date April the 19th 1951 and the title is the Big Speech
1: the story you're about to hear is true only the names have been changed to protect the innocent <laughs> You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. A doctor is severely beaten, robbed, and left in critical condition. Suspicion points to a narcotics addict. Your job? Get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
2: It was Monday, August 7th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working a day watch out a robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, Chief of Detectives. My name's Friday. It was 1.15 p.m. when I got to 4656 Collis Avenue, the front door.
3: Is that you, Joseph?
2: Yeah, Ma, it's me. I didn't expect you so soon. Well, I'm off for lunch, and Ben and I were in the neighborhood, so. Oh,
3: well, I'll get the telegram.
2: Thank you. I must
3: say, I'm glad you could get home. Telegrams always make me nervous. Nobody ever sends a telegram unless it's important here, sir. So.
2: Thank you. Yes, they do, Ma. Some people send wires to invite you to lunch or to a reception or something like that. Is
3: that
2: so? Sure. you just forgotten, haven't you? I've gotten them before like that.
3: Oh, it's no way to do, anyhow. Why not? Well, people always associate frightening things with telegrams. Well, aren't you going to open them? Oh,
2: yeah, sure. You know, if you were worried, you could open it, Ma. It'd been All right.
3: No, I never open anything addressed to you, Joseph. Anything important?
2: Uh, it's from Belmont, my old high school. Oh, yeah. They want me to come up next week. They're having some sort of assembly up there. want me to talk to the student body.
3: Oh, well, that's nice. You going to go?
2: Yeah, I think I better, don't you? I'll well, have to clear it through Captain Sheldon, though.
3: No, I think it's awfully nice for them to remember you. Yeah? But are you going to talk on to say?
2: Yeah, police work, it says here. I'll have to think of something to base it on, though, won't I? Well,
3: you'll have to memorize it, Joseph. Doesn't look well for a man to stand up on a platform and read a prepared talk.
2: Yeah, I know. Oh, that's Ben. I gotta go, Ma.
3: Would you and Ben like some lunch? I can fix you something in about a minute.
2: No, we haven't got time, dear. I'll see you later.
3: I don't know why they couldn't have written a letter instead. What's that, Ma? I said they could have written you a letter. Besides, it's much cheaper than a telegram.
2: Yeah, Ma. I'll see you later.
3: Bye, Joseph. Bye.
2: Just got a call, Joe. They want us to call the office. Oh, well, I might as well do it from the house, huh? Yeah. All right, I'll be right back. Right. It's just me again, Ma. Came back to use the phone. Two five one one, please. Two five one one. Robbery Chandler. Well, this is Friday, Glenn. Got one for you, Joe. What? I can't hear you, Glenn.
3: Got one for you.
2: Wait a minute, I can't hear you. Hey, Ma. Would you hold that vacuum for a minute, please? I can't hear. Oh, all right, sir. Thank you. I'm oh, sorry, Glenn. What'd you say again? Sorry. Right. That young kid hit again. Doctor's office. Yeah. It's that same kid. Only this time, he got a little rough. Victim's of Georgia Street. He's still carrying that gun. Did he use the gun? All right, we'll get right on it. Right, bye. Yeah, bye. Okay, Mom, all through. All right, son. Anything? Yeah. That young hype hit again. Doctor's office beat him up pretty bad. He's down at Georgia. Great combination, isn't it, Joe? What's that? Arm full of narcotics and a loaded gun. Monday, August 7th. Since June 27th, Ben and I had been assigned to a case involving a young narcotics thief. For seven weeks now, he'd been robbing every possible source available to him of narcotics. Since the inception of the investigation, we'd seen this young criminal develop from a small-time sneak thief to a full-fledged armed and vicious thug. The descriptions of the young thief, taken from his various victims, tallied almost to the letter. Blonde, light complexion, small stature, 5'7 to 5'10". Nervous and unusually juvenile in appearance. Everything possible was being done for his quick apprehension. Hundreds of mug shots were screened and shown to victims. No identification. 3.30 p.m., we checked back in at the office. Went to see Sergeant Ed Hall, Narcotics Division. Chandler said you went over to Georgia Street to see that doctor. Yeah, that's right, Ed. Short visit. Poor guy. Pretty bad, huh? No, the guy's really a mess. Kid must have worked overtime on him. And what's his condition? Still critical, when huh? We We laugh. They wouldn't let us stay long. We got a description. It's the same kid. Doctor's name was Gannon, huh? 55 years old. Yeah. Pistol whipped him. Knocked out seven of his teeth, fractured his jaw. Doctor was wearing glasses. They don't know if he'll see out of his right eye anymore. Well, this puts Junior in the big leaves now. Yeah, it sure does. We got out a supplementary all points on him. Uh, Here's a list of the junk that he got. It's quite a haul here.
3: Yeah. Mm. Morphine, quarter grain, 30 vials. Five vials, half grain, coating. Dolphine, quarter grain, six vials.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you did all right. Long list here. We got that from the nurse. She was out to lunch when it happened. It's a small office out there and the doctor closes up at noon. Nurse goes out to lunch and he eats in the office. That's when the kid got to him. He knew when to hit, didn't he? yeah. Our boys haven't been able to turn up a thing for you. Nobody seems to know the kid. Well, the amount of stuff he hauled out of that doctor's office, something ought to show, shouldn't it? Should, yeah, all like that. You got anything at all to work on? Yeah, that car that was used on the job. Still got it staked out. we well, we'll just picked this up from the report counter. Yeah, uh-huh. The car was uh, reported stolen two hours after the robbery. It's a little bit of a break, yeah. The Report was taken out at the Wilshire station. Mrs. Irving Adams states that her husband had notified her that the car was stolen from him mm-hmm. while he was at work today. So he always parks it out in front on the street. We haven't checked it out yet, but we figured it was a good place to start, maybe. Wait a minute. What did you say that name was? Irving oh. Adams. No, let me see that report. Well, this Adams is a user. He's up in county now waiting trial. Are you sure about that? Yeah, Walker and I picked him up. I just talked to Adams up in the county jail this morning. How long has he been in? Uh, let's see, uh... It was last Tuesday, July 30th. The car couldn't have been stolen from Adams today if he's been in jail for a week. Well, there's one guy can figure it out for you. Adams. five p.m. We went up to the 10th floor of the county jail, the interview room. We talked to Irving Adams for an hour. He said he wanted to cooperate, but he couldn't explain his wife's action in reporting the car stolen from him. He kept repeating that he knew his wife was not involved in anything, that she was innocent of any complicity in the case of the youthful gunman. He could give us no information on anyone fitting the gunman's description. He insisted that the entire matter was a mistake and that his wife could clear everything up if we just talked to her. 5.20 p.m. Ben and I drove out to 239 West 92nd Street, the Adams residence. It was a small white bungalow trimmed in red. The front lawn needed cutting and care. There were four bottles of soured milk on the front porch along with several old newspapers. The front blinds were down. Although it was still early, the front porch light was burning. The other homes in the neighborhood appeared to be neat and well kept. The screen door was ajar and supported by one rusty hinge. 5.21 p.m. Looks like nobody's home. Well, let's give it a try, huh? Give me a minute, I'll cover the back. Right. Yes. Police officer, my name's Friday. You're Mrs. Irving Adams?
4: Yes, that's right.
2: I'd like to talk to you about your stolen car.
4: Have we found it?
2: Oh, yes, we have. Can I come in?
4: Place is in such a mess. Can't we talk here?
2: Well, if you don't mind, I'd rather come inside.
4: All right. Don't look at the house. I've been kind of sick. Haven't felt much like cleaning up. All right.
2: You alone here, are you?
4: Right now, my husband's at work.
2: Mm-hmm. Mind if I go through the house?
4: You mean search it? You got a warrant?
2: No, oh, I just want to go to the back door. What for? Well, my partner's around back there. This is the way to the back door here? That's right. This is? It?
4: It's locked. Keys in the door.
2: All right. Hey, Ben.
4: Yeah, everything all right? Yeah, fine. Is he a police officer too?
2: Yeah, that's right. Is uh, this all there is to the house here? What do you mean? Well, just these three rooms here.
4: Yes, that's all.
2: I thought you said you were alone here. I am. Who's that woman lying down in the other room?
4: That's Catherine. Mm -hmm. I didn't want you bothering her. She's been sick, too. She sleeps most of the time. I just forgot about her.
2: Mm -hmm. Anybody else
4: around? No, nobody.
2: No, I mean anybody sick or otherwise. Anyone besides you and this girl in there?
4: Well, you... Been in every room in the house except the bathroom. Uh This it here? Yes. Okay. I don't understand all this. I reported my car stolen, and you come out here and search my house. If I did steal my car, I wouldn't hide it in here. Yeah.
2: Ben, want to come in? Yeah.
4: Could you tell me something? Yeah. Why are you here?
2: Well, I told you we found your car. This is Sergeant Romero. How do you do?
4: What's the trouble? Anything wrong?
2: Who'd you say your car was stolen from?
4: From me? It was my car.
2: Is that the way you made the report, Mrs. Adams? It was stolen from you?
4: I think so, yes.
2: Mrs. Adams, according to the report that you made out this morning, you stated that the car was stolen from your husband. Isn't that right?
4: Is that what I said?
2: Yes, ma'am. That's right.
4: Um, I don't remember we both used the car so much. I forgot.
2: Well now, which is it? You or your husband?
4: I'm not sure.
2: You've been drinking, have you?
4: A little bit. Just to ease my nerves. I haven't been feeling well.
2: well. It's obvious you're not drunk, Mrs. Adams. Why don't you keep your story straight?
4: Well, officers, I am telling the truth.
2: Well, your husband's in the county jail. He's been there for a week. The car couldn't have been stolen from him. Now could it?
4: I didn't say it was stolen from him.
2: Is um, this your signature, Mrs. Adams? Yes, sir. This is a copy of the auto theft report that you made at the Wilshire Division. Yes. Well, now, is this report a true one or a false one? There's a penalty for making a false report, Ms. Adams. I'm sure you're aware of that.
4: I only want my car back.
2: Who was it stolen from?
4: Whatever it says there, my husband.
2: Mm -hmm. Now, we just told you that he's in jail. He's still in there. We just talked to him. The car couldn't have been stolen from him. Have you got anything to say to that? No. Well, I think we better go downtown where you can sit and straighten yourself out and give us some right answers.
4: I don't want to go to jail.
2: That's just where you're going if you don't snap out of it and come up with the truth.
4: I know who you want. It's Rex Burley, isn't it?
2: Who's Rex Burley?
4: Young kid, blonde, small. He told me he was in some kind of trouble with the car. Said if I'd tell the police it was stolen, it'd be all right that
2: way. Mm -hmm. Do you know where he is now? No, I don't. You sure about that?
4: That's the truth. Yeah,
2: come on. Yeah.
4: Catherine's awful sick.
2: Mm -hmm. She always sleep this heavy?
4: Only when she's sick.
2: She's really out, isn't she? Yeah. Look at her leg. Yeah, she's a user. Say, uh, this girl's on narcotics, Ms. Adams. Are you a user?
4: No, I'm not. I don't know where Catherine gets it.
2: How about Rex Burley?
4: He's on it, too. Maybe she gets it from him.
2: Is there any stuff in the house now?
4: Not that I know of.
2: You want to tell us where Rex Burley is?
4: I don't know. He called here about an hour ago. Catherine talked to him. Mm
2: -hmm. Did he tell her where he was?
4: Yes, he did. She wrote it down on a piece of paper.
2: Where's that paper?
4: Under a pillow.
1: You are listening to Dragnet. From beginning to end... Dragnet is the authentic story of your police force in action.
2: Monday, August 7th, 6.30 p.m. The young girl who was identified as Catherine Dorrance was awakened and she produced Rex Burley's address. She stated that she'd known him for the past year. She had just graduated from high school and gave her age as 18. And talking further with both Iris Adams and Catherine Dorrance... We found that the description of Rex Burley checked out with that given us from the suspect's victims. They both stated that, as far as they knew, it was his true name that he had no friends or associates known to them. A check with r i showed no record on the name Rex Burley. At 6.37 p.m., Sergeants Hall and Walker from Narcotics Division arrived and continued the investigation of the two female suspects. A stakeout was placed on the house at 239 West 92nd Street. The address we got from Catherine Dorrance was a hotel on Washington Boulevard. We drove out and checked with the clerk. We asked if he had anyone registered under the name of Rex Burley and he told us no. We gave him Burley's description. He said that a young man similar to that had registered and was in room 210. We got a pass key from the clerk. We walked up to the second floor. This is it. Mm. Lights on under the door. Yeah. Careful, huh? Yeah. Right. Who is it? Open up. We want to talk to you. What about? It's the key in the door. Yeah, fast key's no good. All right, come on. Open up, police officers. He's not gonna open. All right. Let's hit it. All right again. Once more. Yep. Oh, Winter's open. Up the fire escape, Joe. Police officers! Hold it up! Watch it! You all right? Yeah. All right, come on, let's go. All right, hold it up there. He doesn't want to stop. He's over the side, under the roof. All right, come on. All right, easy. See him? No, it's pretty dark. All right, come on, easy now. All right, Easy. over there on that side can you see him no it's too dark watch that skyline he's over there in that corner see him yeah now he's gone must have ducked back down well he's in that corner all right let's take him now keep down you circle around from that side i'll go around this way right be careful keep down All right, throw that gun out. Get your hands in the air. Walk toward the middle of the roof. All
3: right. All right,
2: here's the gun. I see him, Joe. I got him covered. You all right?
3: Yeah. All
2: right, keep those hands up.
3: All
2: right, stand still. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, get your hands behind you. Ben. Let's go, Burley. I didn't mean to do it. I, I was wrong. I, I know I was wrong. You should have thought about that a long time ago. How old are you, Burley? 20. You're living pretty high, aren't you? I had to have this stuff. I, I needed it. How else could I get it? I, I didn't have the money to buy it. You didn't have to get started on it. Come on, let's go. I didn't want to get started. All of a
0: sudden, I was just on it. I... I couldn't do anything about it. You don't understand. There was just somebody else to explain it to.
2: There is, but they won't understand it either. Monday, August 7th, 8.40 p.m. Rex Burley was taken downtown to the robbery division for further interrogation. He told us that he was in his senior year in high school when he got started on narcotics. He kept repeating that he didn't mean to get started. He readily admitted his participation in six narcotics robberies. He told us that he got Catherine Dorrance, his 18-year-old girlfriend, started on dope. Gene Bechtel took his statement and a complete report was made. A partial recovery of the stolen narcotics was made from his hotel room. The remainder had been found at Irving Adams' residence on 92nd Street. Both female suspects, Iris Adams and Catherine Dorrance, were filed on for violation of the State Narcotics Act. A show-up was scheduled for August 8th to allow a positive identification from Rex Burley's victims. We received word from Georgia Street that Dr. Gannon's condition was improved. The suspect was transported to the main jail where he was booked. It was 10.38 p.m. when I got to 1456 Collis Avenue, the front door. No, I'm not hungry.
3: You'll well, we'll have to eat. I'll we'll fix you something.
2: Oh, well, I'm kind of tired. I'd just like to sit down for a minute.
3: All right. Well, there's evening paper. Oh, thank you. Well, what'd you do to the sleeve of your coat? Oh,
2: well, yeah. well, I Guess I must have ripped it, huh?
3: Mm-hmm. You slip it off, I'll mend it after I fix you some dinner.
2: Well, why don't you sit down and work on it now if you want to? I have got something I'd kind of like to go over with you.
3: Mm-hmm. All right.
2: You remember that telegram from Belmont this morning?
3: Yeah, your old high school.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think I got an idea for a speech, maybe. I just made a few notes here and wrote down some of it. You think you feel like listening to it, see if it's okay?
3: All right. Did you write the speech today?
2: Well, just parts of it. I hadn't written a clear out yet. I just got a few notes. I want to see what you thought of it. All
3: right. Let me have your coat, son.
2: Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Thank you.
3: Now, let's hear your talk.
2: Well, remember, it's not written down yet. It's just kind of hit and miss as I go along. Mm-hmm. But I think I can get the thought across, and then I'll put it all down on paper. All right. Um, Mr. Fisher, that's the principal up there. You
3: know.
2: Yes. Uh, Mr. Fisher, members of the faculty and students. I'd like to tell you about a young boy who started out in high school and Ended up on the roof of a downtown hotel dodging police bullets. I'd like to tell you about his girlfriend. 18 years old and a dope addict. This young fellow started out on narcotics in search of a new thrill. Something new that he hadn't experienced in his young life. He was still in high school when a group of the more high-living youngsters used to congregate at the local malt shop. That's not so good, is it? Well, Well, maybe it's sound better this way. There was a malt shop on the corner where some of the youngsters used to get together after school. Kind of a place where, if you had the right connections, and our young boy and girl did, you could get a drink of liquor in the back room. Well, the high school faculty knows all about this local malt shop, and they inform the authorities, and pressure is brought to bear. But the man who operates the place is clever. If you can call the operations of a man like this clever... He knows how to cover up, how to keep the front room legitimate and the back room a spawning place for juvenile delinquency. And the students don't help much. There seems to be something during the formation of a juvenile mind that when his teachers or his parents catch him doing wrong or they try to tell him it's bad, he prides himself in seeing how long he can get away with it under cover. Seems to be the stylish thing to do to outwit your parents and teachers. Um. as the youngsters grow older, they invariably find out how infantile and stupid this is, but sometimes it's too late. Does that sound kind of stuffy, Ma? What do you think?
3: Sounds like the truth. Let me hear the rest of it.
2: Well, you know how kids are. Sometimes they resent it if they think you're lecturing them. Maybe oh. they could have been with Ben and I tonight. might make a difference. Well, I don't want to make this too long, Ma. I think maybe I ought to finish up something like this. From this malt shop on the corner in that back room our young boy gets a good shove down the road of self-degradation. He has the right connections... and it isn't too long before he graduates the liquor in the back room... for something he thinks it's far better... narcotics. He's heard that unlike liquor, you can't smell it on his breath. and He's a real veteran now. He has hangovers. He's heard that narcotics doesn't leave you with a hangover. So it doesn't take too long before... in our, well, in police parlance, he's hooked. Living in this day and age... He thought that they taught him well in his economics and civics classes. He thought he knew what post-war inflation was all about. He didn't have the vaguest notion of the cost of his daily supply of narcotics once he was hooked on it. He found that before long he had to have his daily dosage. In no time at all, he found that it was all he could do to get by on $30 a day. That's what it cost, ma. $30 each and every day or he became violently ill, so sick that he couldn't seem to function properly. Well, in order to maintain his daily needs, he got a gun, and he robbed, and he beat people, and he stole. He shared with his girlfriend, and he dragged her down with him. He ended up on the roof of a hotel trying to shoot his way out. Well, the boy was 20 years old. His girlfriend was 18. Two years ago, they both sat out there in a high school auditorium during an assembly. He went a long way, didn't he, in his two years out of high school. He was taken into custody on the night of August 7th. He was crying when we put the handcuffs on him. He was crying when we left him in his cell at the county jail. I guess he's still crying. What do you think, Ma? That's just rough, I
3: haven't. Mm -hmm. Will they believe it? You think it'll do any good?
2: Well, I don't know, Ma. It's up to them.
1: heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On November 9th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 83, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial.
2: And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, there are many cases on record of two people not related, looking so much alike, it's hard to tell them apart. A quick check of fingerprints, however, easily proves who's who. <laughs>
1: Martin Burley was found guilty of three counts of robbery in the first degree and was sentenced to the state penitentiary where he is now serving his term. First degree robbery is punishable by imprisonment from five years to life. The Federal Civil Defense Administration will send you an air raid instruction sheet if you will write the Superintendent of Documents, Washington, D.C., enclosing five cents in coin or stamps. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department.
2: Stay tuned for Counter Spy, next over many NBC stations. Hi, my name is Jeff Egan. I'm the executive director at Joy of Living Camp and Retreat Center. A week at summer camp is a transforming life event for children and youth that's out of reach financially for a great many families. Since 1993, Joy of Living Camp has been providing a Christian camp experience for needy children without regard to their family's financial circumstances. But we've never done it alone. We need
0: your help to leverage the power of camp in the life of a needy child. Please visit thejoyofliving.org forward slash radio to find out how it is done and how you
2: can help. That's thejoyofliving.org forward slash radio.
0: Welcome back. Um, An intriguing episode and uh, somewhat of an intriguing title just because Joe Friday would become known for um, big speeches. But I uh, I even I appreciated the realism of how um he they even set up the the scene where he was sitting down and drafting the speech because it felt very realistic to something that a policeman might say and some of the concerns that uh he might have about talking about a topic like this uh but certainly uh would understand that it's something that's important to discuss And you can also see some of the themes that um, would work with Dragnet even into the uh, late 1960s, early 70s, although with a bit more of a forceful approach. And uh, we turn now to listener comments and feedback, and I have a lovely email from uh, Bob, uh, who uh, I forgot at the top of the show. Thanks so much for the donation and support of the show. Uh, Bob says... uh, I love the show and listen to a podcast uh, many evenings before retiring. I especially like the strange combination of lyric, prose, and tough guy action in Philip Marlowe. Broadway is my in my, as, is my beat, is as lyrical about New York as Marlowe is about LA, and I hope you'll air that show at some future date. It's definitely on our list, and we did do a preview uh, episode uh, during our last uh, listener support campaign. He uh, goes on to say, I do have a question. Uh, For over 11 years, I've written a weekly blog uh, column about the game of Checkers at uh, checkermaven.com. Checkers and old-time radio really do have a relationship in that they had a heyday at the same time and declined at the same time. In both cases, due to the onslaught of television. My question is, do you know of any old-time radio episodes that contain anything about checkers, such as people playing or the like? This is surprisingly rare, but I'm hoping to make a weekly column about it. Um, uh, uh, And uh, he uses some Hawaiian phrases in the end. I don't want to butcher them, but I do definitely appreciate the spirit of the comments. Uh, And I was able to find just a couple of episodes of uh, Vic and Sade and Ed and Zeb where some of the descriptions from radiogoldindex.com uh, reference checkers. However, the most prominent use of checkers in old-time radio that I'm aware of is in the Lum and Abner radio program. Whenever um, uh, Lum, who was co-owner of the, sto- the uh, Jot'em Down general store with Abner, was out of the store, Abner would take uh, to playing checkers with uh, the character Grandpappy Spears, and there would be allegations of cheating flying uh, back and forth, and it would be a big, um, it would be a big deal in the show. Um, and I couldn't point to a specific episode just because there were so many episodes uh, involving Abner and uh, Grandpappy Spears playing checkers. But if you're really curious about Checkers, that's a series I'd recommend. Uh, pretty dearly, if you also enjoy a little bit of um, country humor, uh, that is one of my favorites. So, yeah, Lum and Abner for your Checker old-time radio needs. All right, well, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for Video Theater. It'll be an episode of Michael Shane, and uh, then... On uh, Monday, Michael Shane on radio, and then next Saturday, another episode of Dragnet. In the meanwhile, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing
4: off.